The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to the chief priests and elders of the people, What is your opinion? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. He said in reply, I will not, but afterwards changed his mind and went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said in reply, Yes, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They answered, The first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. When John came to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. Yet even when you saw that, you did not later change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. Today's second reading is, as we heard from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians, and it includes the ancient hymn known as the Christ hymn, the reminder that our Lord, though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but rather he humbled himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. He came obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, death on the cross. Our Lord does so, and he provides for us a model of humility to follow after. That we may have claim to certain things, even to be willing to humble ourselves in their sight. Every time we come to Mass, it should be an act of humility of heart. As we recognize that we don't necessarily come here because we're just that good and we need to tell God about it. Rather, usually we come here in need of the Lord, in need of some grace, in need of some peace in our soul. And so we come with humble hearts to stand before our Lord, recognizing that we have need of him. Last weekend, I kind of uh, I broke the rhythm of the, the proceeding through the, ce- the celebration of the Mass and went from the Eucharistic prayer and hopped over into uh, receiving Holy Communion and praying afterwards. Namely, I did that on account simply because the scripture was kind of, it was one I didn't want to pass up, uh, more or less. But today we, I want to step back a little bit and go back and look at those few prayers that we offer and those signs that we give uh, from the time of the Eucharistic prayer up until the moment of Holy Communion. And it begins with the Our Father. The Our Father is that prayer that our Lord gives to his disciples when they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And unlike so many prayers that we offer in the life of the church, various novenas and, and such, The prayer of our Lord is one that is written not with a human hand, but with the divine. And because of such, there is no end to the mysteries that can be contained within it. Indeed, the words of the Our Father, although they are few, are of great fuel for reflection. Numerous doctors of the church have written large sections and reflections on the Our Father, only to have someone in the next generation to find that there's even more there. 2,000 years we've been digging into this prayer, and yet there's always more to find. 
a wonderful gift to us, this prayer in the Our Father. The Our Father is composed of eight main petitions. The fact that it is composed of petitions at all means that it is a humble prayer. That we stand before the Lord and we ask for His grace. We ask for His help. We ask for these things. None of us has the ability to stand here and demand of God that He do these things for us as if we were, we were the Master and He were the one who had to listen. But rather we come humbly before Him in the manner of our Lord Jesus, appropriately, since He gave us the prayer Himself. And so we ask the Lord for His help. And we ask the Lord not for His help just as an individual, but as a community. Again, the fact that the prayer that our Lord gives to us is not my Father, it's our Father. Drives home the point that whenever we pray this prayer, it's not just me and Jesus. It is me and Jesus and the whole body of Christ. As we said, if we have just a relationship with me and Jesus, if we think that we can live the Christian life without being a part of the Christian community, we don't actually understand Christianity. It is foundational to the Christian church and the Christian faith that we be part of the body of Christ, part of a community. And as such, we cry out our Father. The fact that we cry out our Father and that it's, praised, it's, it's, it's named all throughout the world reminds us that in the life of the church, we have well over a billion brothers and sisters in Christ. We may never meet them in this life, but in the life to come, we will know them and be filled with joy in their presence because they are truly a brother or a sister in the Lord, which is a stronger bond even than flesh and blood. And so we rejoice in this gift of the communal nature of our prayer that joins us together. Again, also, it is a very humble prayer as we come to stand before our Lord. On a practical level, there's a question that has arisen oftentimes in recent years of the question of what do we do during the Our Father? What posture are we to take? The norm in most of our communities, at least in the South Louisiana, South Louisiana area, is that we join hands for the Our Father in the praying of it and then lift them up at, the, uh, at the, next, the next phrase that we repeat and then let go of hands before the sign of peace. And the questioner has, has, has arisen many times. Uh, I'm asked it usually about once a month at this, at this point. Uh, Father, what do we do? Do we hold hands or do we not hold hands? I read this blog post that says it's good. I read this one that says don't do it. Which one do we do? And so I'll give you the official line of the church on this question. In the liturgy, whenever it directs us to pray that our Father, it gives no direction that we are to hold hands. It doesn't say that it's supposed to be done. Nowhere in the, uh, there are numerous documents that give us kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how the liturgy is supposed to be celebrated on a practical level, not just a spiritual or theological one, but on a practical one, it doesn't mention anywhere that we hold hands during the Our Father. That said, it doesn't mention anywhere that you're not supposed to hold hands during the Our Father. So, if you want to hold hands, the option is yours. If not, the option is yours. And I think that's a, a recognition of the diversity in our church, that it gives us the opportunity, if we desire to hold hands with someone, I think it's particularly you know, relevant, in particular for if we're actually blood family too, a husband and a wife holding hands seems to make sense. Parents and their children holding hands seems to make sense just on a natural level. Uh, and to kind of supernaturalize that here in the celebration liturgy is not a bad thing. 
But at the same time, if someone doesn't want to hold hands, it's good to respect that and not to be able to look, like, look at them as if they're uh, kind of trying to, to shrug us off or trying to give us the cold shoulder or any of these sorts of things. I remember one time, I'm, I'm not a big hand holder myself, as some of you may know, uh, and so one day I was at Mass, as a, I was a seminarian, uh, so I was in the pews and I had my hands folded and I was praying the Our Father and uh, just kind of quietly trying to, to pray with the liturgy and, and the, the words. And uh, apparently the lady at the other end of the pew really, really wanted to hold hands and was upset that I didn't. Uh, so she walked over to me from the opposite end of the pew and took my hand uh, so that she could hold it. Uh, and there I was going, okay, here we are, Lord. You know, we are family, right? So we love our family, even when they do things that we don't want to do. Uh, and so just kind of let it happen and made a note not to sit next to her next time. And that's the simple reality. So, you know, again, it is our, it is our prerogative. If we, if we want to hold, hold hands, again, we can. If not, for whatever reason, and there are various reasons, don't feel obliged. And if the person next to you doesn't want to hold your hand, don't feel upset. Uh, that's just how things are. So, we continue from that point to the sign of peace. And the sign of peace is an important piece for us in the Mass. Because it's the place where we don't just simply tell everybody, hey, around us. It's not as if we're taking an intermission to be able to to visit with everybody before we get back to the main stuff of communion. But rather, it's a moment where we're supposed to be giving the sign of the peace of Jesus Christ. And this, this is important for us. We're giving the peace of Christ to the other person. It should be a sacred, a sacred action. Rather than just kind of waving hay all over the place or shouting to the person opposite the church or the chapel or shooting the, the two-finger peace sign to everybody around to, uh, to give everybody the, the peace. Um, it's supposed to be an intimate sign of peace because it comes from Christ himself who comes to us and says, not as the world gives you peace, do I give it to you. I give you a special peace, an abiding peace. It's an important thing. The abiding peace of Christ. And so our Lord comes to us to grant us that peace right before we receive Holy Communion. In the traditional celebration of the Mass and prior to the Second Vatican Council, the priest, whenever he would give the sign of peace, the, the host would be on the altar, of course, who was celebrating the Eucharist. He would first kiss the altar and then he would turn to the community and say, Peace of the Lord be with you always and with your spirit. And then he would give the sign of peace to the ministers in the sanctuary, and they would, they would send them the, the peace to the ministers in the congregation. And so it was, it was kind of a visible sign that the peace came from our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. And it came and kind of radiated through the community. In a sense, it, it still happens, although some of the, those particular signs are kind of stripped away a bit. But whenever we give the sign of peace, some of you may notice that whenever I say the peace of the Lord be with you always, my hands are open. But whenever I say let us offer each other the sign of peace, my hands are on the altar. And it's not just because I need to, something to hold me up. If it's because I'm physically reminding myself, and if you're paying attention, reminding you that the peace doesn't come from me to you. It's not just about me and you. Rather, it's the peace of Jesus Christ here on this altar that comes forth to be able to fill us. And so as we turn to our neighbor... Again, it's not just being friendly and saying hello. There's a time for that, certainly. But it's to be able to wish the other person truly to experience the peace of Jesus. 
To know that every one of us, as we go through the course of the week, whenever we come into church, we don't know necessarily what the other person has experienced. If it's a husband or a wife or your children or a close family, maybe you know. Maybe you know how their week has gone. Maybe you know that they need some extra grace from the Lord. But if it's just another parishioner and the person in the pew in front of you or behind you or beside you, you don't know what's happened in their life this week. You don't know maybe how much peace they really desire in that moment. And what a grace it can be to give it, and to give it in a profound manner, to truly show love and peace. This is particularly effective also if we need to make peace with someone else. The scriptures remind us that if we, if we are bringing our gift to the altar and we remember that our sister or brother has something against us, to lay our gift down there before the altar, go and make peace, and then come back and offer our gift. And that's why we have the sign of peace immediately before Holy Communion. Is it's that place where if we remember as we come into church that we need to make peace with someone else. We do so at the sign of peace. Even though the person may not be standing next to us. We can look at the one who is and give them the peace as if it was the one to whom we need to be reconciled. And then we can come to receive our Lord. And certainly for us to be able to go back later on whenever we do see that person and to be able truly to make the peace. So the sign of peace is a, pro- a profound and important for peace for us at the Mass. Rather than just kind of a, a pause in the liturgy and the ritual, it's a wonderful place where Christ speaks to us. After the sign of peace, we enter into the Lamb of God. The sacrifice of the Holy Liturgy is indeed a sacrifice. And in the moment where the host is broken in half, it means that the lamb is sacrificed for us. The lamb is slain, right? The lamb is offered for us, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And as he's broken for love of us, a small particle is placed in the chalice. A very small particle, and it has has a couple of meanings. One is more of a historical meaning. Then in the early church, they would have one large celebration of the sacred liturgy, wherein the bishop would preside over, over the city uh, in, in the celebration of the liturgy. And they would have uh, basically mission churches kind of scattered around since you couldn't, the bishop couldn't go to all these places. So the bishop, when he would offer the liturgy, he would offer and he would consecrate one large host. And he would take particles of that host and break them off. They would put it in, in a little cloth, much like we have on the altar uh, at Holy Mass. And they would give it to what was essentially a a ministry in the early church, a sacramental runner. Wouldn't that be a nice sacramental ministry to have? Who runs fast in church? You're the one, right? Because what they would do is the bishop would give them the host. They They would wrap it up, put it securely in their pocket, and they would run, literally, to the church where mass was taking place elsewhere around the city. And they would come in, and at the appropriate point of the Mass, they would bring the cloth forward, and they would take the small piece of the host from the bishop's Mass, and they would put it in the chalice at their particular local community's Mass as a way of uniting themselves to the bishop, as a, as a reminder that, that we don't just do this by ourselves. That every church, although we may be a church parish, we're not just our own church parish. We're part of the larger body of Christ. And so the mingling of the, of the small piece of the host in the chalice of the precious blood, is that reminder that we are united in every liturgy that we celebrate, whether the bishop is here or not, we're still united with him. And it's at his, uh, at his commissioning that we're able to celebrate the liturgy. And so it's a, a reminder of our union with him. 
Also, it's a reminder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then in the liturgy, we have the separation of the two. We have the body and we have the blood. We have the host and we have the chalice. And that's a sign that our Lord has been crucified, that he's been sacrificed for us. Because on the sacrifice of the cross, our Lord Jesus, he poured out his blood. His blood was poured out upon the ground, but his body hung upon the cross. A separation of body and blood. It was a sign of his death. And the same thing we offered here in the Mass, a sign of the Lord's death, that the two are separated from one another through the celebration of liturgy. But whenever the peace of the host is mingled back with the blood, it's a reminder that the Lord was not just killed for us, he was also raised up for us. That his body and blood became one again. And he's raised up and we receive the resurrected body of our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. A powerful mystery. And then... After that, a couple of prayers are prayed by the priest. And then he raises up the sacred host. And he looks at the community and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. These are the words that echo St. John the Baptist, of course, whenever he sees our Lord on the, uh, on the banks of the Jordan when he's baptizing. But he's pointing back to something that happened even a thousand years and more before that. That when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain... It said that the Lord would provide a lamb. The Lord will provide himself the lamb. He said it in a prophetic way. And as they got to the top of the mountain, the Lord provided not a lamb, but a ram. And so for a thousand years and more, the people of God, the Jewish people, were looking for the lamb of God to come. And when John echoes those words, it surely brought everyone to their knees. He turns to the disciples and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, the one we've been waiting for. Here he is. Look at him. And it's the same thing that happens here in the liturgy. As we go through the course of the week, everything we do is pointing towards this one particular moment where we see this is the Lamb of God. And soon we can be united to him. And so as we come forward to Holy Communion, it is a time of intimate encounter that foreshadows the moment that we will experience heaven. And so we humble ourselves before that reality. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. My soul shall be healed. Not my soul might be healed, or my soul will probably be healed. My soul shall be healed. We know that if we humble ourselves, the Lord will exalt us. So if we humble ourselves in his presence, seeking this gift of the supernatural bread from heaven, we know that our Lord will come to heal our souls and grant us the peace we desire. So as we come here to this holy mass, we come to this holy altar once more, as we have many times before, we ask the Lord Jesus to be with us specifically today. Help us to embody that humility that is his, that was characteristic not only of him, but of his blessed mother and of all the saints that humbling ourselves before him in the Eucharist, we might be able to receive him with great joy to know the healing of our hearts as we look forward to the day where we can join him and all the angels and saints in praise of our Father in heaven.